title of my sermon this morning is Denouement, Part 1. Denouement, not Denouement. Denouement, according to Merriam-Webster, is the final outcome of the main dramatic complication in a literary work. It is those final few pages that brings everything together, that closes up all those loops and holes that are left, completing the story. It would have been great if John would have ended, you know, right at the end of John 20. Seems like the perfect thing to end, right? As, as Thomas, who doubts, sees the risen Christ, and he proclaims, my Lord and my God. What a powerful ending that would have been. And then John, working from that, says, this is the reason why I have included these things, so that you may believe. What a great way to end a book. And yet we find John 21. And John 21 really is a denouement. It brings the story to a close. Because at the end of John 20, there's still, there are still some holes that need to be filled. Last time we heard from Peter, this great apostle, he denied Christ. What's going to happen? What's going forward? Yes, yeah, yeah, Jesus is alive. What does that mean for us? What does that look like now? That's John 21. It takes these answers. It closes these loops. It answers our questions. The first thing we see in this one, Denouement Part 1, is that Jesus provides. As you work your way through this, we'll see the setting, the story, and the lesson. Jesus provides. First thing we see is the setting. My clicker's not working. We'll get it eventually. Just, you can know, you can write down the setting. There you go. <laughs> Chapter 21, verses 1 to 3, the setting. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. After these things... These things is everything that has followed the resurrection, everything we see in John 20. It's his first appearance to the women at the tomb. It says the women go and they tell. It's his first appearance to the disciples in the locked room, his appearance to Thomas following his doubt. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus showed himself again, just as he promised all throughout the book of John, from verse chapter 14 on, as he said, I am leaving. And they said, well, where are you going? Why can't we come with you? What does this mean for us? What will this look like? And Jesus promised, I am not abandoning you. I will be with you. I will send the Spirit to indwell you. Just as he promised, he has not abandoned them. He shows himself again, as we see at the end of this passage, in verse 14, this is the third time now that he shows himself. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee. So this tells us that they have moved, there's a transition here. When we left them at the end of John 20, they were still in Jerusalem, in this room. 
Sometime between then and now, they've made their way from Jerusalem back to Galilee. They're beside the Sea of Galilee. At some point, Jesus has told them, as we see in Matthew 28, he tells them to meet him on a mountain in this area. So they've made their way back there. Things are moving forward. They're back on the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. So verse 1 here, chapter 21, is saying what happened. Jesus showed himself. Verse 2 then starts how it happened. Jesus showed himself, and this is how it happened. In this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So here we have seven of the disciples gathered together near the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting, this group of disciples that you have, three of them are those who have made confession of who Christ is throughout the book. We looked at that two weeks ago when we were looking at uh, Thomas's confession. My Lord and my God. And we looked at all these confessions throughout the book of John that people have made to who Jesus is. You have Nathaniel's confession in John 1, verses 47 to 51, when he first meets Jesus and he says, I saw you under the tree. And right then and there, from the very beginning, Nathaniel believes and confesses that Jesus is the Christ. You have Peter's famous confession. It's recorded in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 9. His great confession that you are the Son of God. It's a famous confession, a powerful confession. You have Thomas's confession that we just saw two weeks ago in John 20, 28. My Lord and my God, my Master. He equates God as not just, Jesus as not just having authority over him, but Jesus with God himself. You are my Master and my God. This great confession. So you have these three men who've made these great confessions. You also in this group have the sons of Zebedee, James and John. James and John called to follow Jesus while fishing with their father in Matthew 4.21, even as we read earlier today. John, who has also made a confession of who Christ is in this book. Then you have two others of his disciples who were together that they were not told who they are. This group is, is a tight-knit group. They all come from this general region. They are fishermen. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. Commentators are torn. They go back and forth regarding, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Is there going fishing here a sign of, well, we don't know where Jesus is. We haven't seen him in a while. Maybe he's gone. We're going fishing. We're going back to our old lives. We're taking up what we put down before we followed Jesus. That's what we're going back to. Other commentators see this as just a good thing. 
Jesus has called them to, to follow him. He's called them to, to go. He said, I am sending you as the Father sent me. In chapter 20, verses 21 to 23. And so what do they do? They go back. He's told them to meet them on a mountain. And so they go back to the general area where that is. And while they're sitting there, what do they have to do? They have to eat. And so they go fishing. They're simply providing for themselves. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle there. We don't know. We're not told whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. But if you put yourself in the place of these disciples, they've gone back to this area, to this region, Galilee, and they're waiting. And they don't really know what to do. And what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go back to that which you're comfortable with, do you not? You go back to that that you know. I think there is a sign here that they're not necessarily denying Christ. They're not going back on what they said. You've got these three men who have made these great confessions. Thomas himself has just made a confession. It's not that they're abandoning those confessions, that they're turning their back on Christ. In fact, what you see, I think, is a little bit here. You see at least a a new boldness in light of the resurrection that was absent in the locked room in Jerusalem, do you not? They were huddled together in a room in Jerusalem with the room locked because they were fearful of the Romans and of the Jews. But now, in light of the resurrection, in light of Jesus appearing to them, they've moved on from that. They're out in the open. They're back to Galilee. Yet at the same time, and they're going fishing, there's a lack of urgency, a lack of direction that's absent in the book of Acts. You don't find Peter on his way to meet with Cornelius stopping to fish. In the book of Acts, There's an urgency. There's something more important to do. There's a mission, a goal. There's people to reach. Churches to plant. So as I look at this, I don't don't know that it's a good thing. I don't know that it's a bad thing. I think it's more a matter of just ignorance and uncertainty than disobedience and rebellion. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You go back to what you know, what you're good at, where you're comfortable. They're here. They're waiting. And they go fishing. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night, they caught nothing. They caught nothing. It must have been an interesting evening. You try to think through it and put yourself on that boat with these men. Fishing's one of those exercises. Well, it's not much exercise. It's one of those things that causes you to reflect. It's good for conversation. As you're sitting there, and you're fishing, and and, and their fishing's probably a little bit more 
physically tiring than our kind of fishing that we think of. But, but, you know, I imagine they get out there and they're on the boat and at first they're kind of excited and they're fishing and they're not catching anything and maybe they take a little break and they're sitting there and they're, they're talking about everything that has gone on over the last three years. Do you remember the last time we threw a net off this boat? We had no idea who Jesus was. Think about everything that has changed since then. Where we have been, what we have seen. And then they start looking to the future. But what now? Is Jesus going to keep showing up? Is he going to be gone forever? Are we supposed to do this? Or is someone else going to come along and lead us again? And then they get back to fishing. And all night they throw this net, going back to what they know. And the one thing that they are good at, the one thing that they know, even in that, they fail. And that night they caught nothing. So that's the setting. As you come to this passage, these men going back to what they know. And out of that setting, you find this story. When the morning had now come, all night they've been at this, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus stood on the shore. Even in that, you see that Jesus knows. We've seen that all throughout the book of of John. Jesus knows. He knows people's hearts. He knows what is going on. He knows the will of his Father. And here he knows exactly where his disciples are. And he knows exactly what they are doing. And he stands on the exact place on the shore where he knows they will be at that time. And he comes to them. Disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It could be because of the distance. It could be because of the low light. It could just be because he somehow didn't make it very clear to them. Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? Jesus knows the answer to that question, does he not? There's a reason why he asked that. He's drawing their attention to their failure. Not to rub it in, but to teach them. He knows they haven't caught any. They know they haven't caught any. At this point, after being at it all night, it's probably very frustrating to them. And they answer, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now remember, at this point, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. So they must have been thinking, who is this man giving us instruction? We're professional fishermen. Do you think you know better? This is what we're good at. Well, have you caught anything? Well, no, but but we're good at it. I can almost see them kind of frustrated. Cashing out on the other side. On the right side of the boat, and you'll find, so I can almost see Peter slapping Thomas on the shoulder. Why didn't we think of that? That's a great idea. 
It's kind of like parenting advice from those who don't have children. Why don't you just make them obey? Well, you know, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? And so they cast. It must have been an enthusiastic cast. It must have been like, oh, great idea. Huh. Throw the net off. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This is not because Jesus was a better fisherman, but because Jesus is God. This is a miracle. Jesus knew exactly where they were, and Jesus knew exactly where the fish were, because Jesus put the fish there, because he's Jesus, because he's God. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we've come to know as John, said to Peter, it is the Lord! On time Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Now, this is kind of shocking to me. How did Peter not realize that this was the Lord? It seems pretty obvious at this point that this is not just some man. In fact, in Luke 5, verses 1 to 11, we have a very... In fact, turn over there with me, if you will. Luke 5. In Luke 5, verses 1 to 11, we find this. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Again, that is the lake, uh, Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake, and the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So all, and so, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is a very similar circumstance under which Peter and James and John were called to follow Jesus. You would think that such a close Similar situation would have caught Peter's attention. This, this, I remember last time this happened, that was Jesus. This must be Jesus. And yet it's John who recognizes it. And here we're starting to pick up on a pattern, right? At the empty tomb, who was it that recognized and believed? It was John. John looks in the empty tomb, and he may not fully understand, but he believes The disciple who recognized the resurrection in the empty tomb here recognizes the Lord and his work. We see a pattern where John shows a quickness to believe and Peter shows a quickness to act. 
Because Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, put on his outer garment. He had removed it. He, had, he was in his fishing garb, and now he was getting dressed again and plunged into the sea. He is desperate to get to Jesus. There was an urgency, a desperation for Jesus here that was absent in going fishing. And I think Peter is to be commended for that. As he had left all to follow Jesus in Luke 5, so now he leaves all to see Jesus. He drops the net. He doesn't care about the fish anymore. There's Jesus! I don't think Peter's action here is extreme. It's appropriate. If only we were all so desperate for Jesus to drop everything, to leave all and to follow him, regardless of what that means. I don't think that Peter is to be chastised for his urgency to get to Jesus. I also don't think that the other disciples do the wrong thing in bringing the fish. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. They all came as quickly as possible. I think there is something in Peter's urgency, his desperation, that we all need. As soon as they had come to land... They saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. A fire of coals. The last time Peter stood around a fire of coals, he denied Christ. Now he stands around a fire of coals with that same Christ who cares for him. Fish laid on it, and bread. As they come in, they see that Jesus is ready for them. Jesus doesn't need them. He doesn't need their fish. He has all that he needs. But note this. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. He has his own fish, his own bread. He doesn't need theirs, and yet he chooses to use theirs. Bring some of it with you. This is the story. Jesus has appeared. A setting, these men, not knowing what to do, go fishing. They fail in their fishing. They don't catch anything. But Jesus provides. Now you see the lesson. So Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land. So the other disciples dragged the net to land. Peter drags the net to Jesus. Peter's urgency to see Jesus is matched by his urgency to obey. He goes and brings the fish. In fact, here we see that Peter must have been a very strong man. His other disciples are struggling to get it to land, and Peter just gets it and pulls it out. Full of large fish, 153, as Jesus provides, he does not provide the bare minimum. He provides above and beyond in excess overflowing And although there were so many, unlike we saw in Luke, the net was not broken. Here we find a second miracle. Not only does Jesus provide, but he provides what they need. A net that is not broken. 
And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. We almost expect Jesus to say something deep or eye-opening or or awe-inspiring here, do we not? We expect one of those lessons where they sit down and he's, you know, blessed are those. Instead, he simply invites them to come and to eat. And sometimes that's all that is needed, is it not? Sometimes we just need to rest and to eat. I think there is a lesson for us in that. Sometimes providing a meal is all that you can do. Sometimes that makes a big difference. If that's all that you can do, if someone is sick or in the hospital and and all you can do is provide a meal, don't look down on that ministry. That is a needed ministry. That is a good ministry. Come and eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The lesson here is simply this. Jesus provides. What sweet fellowship this must have been sitting around this fire. What joy must have filled their weary bodies. Their bodies that were so frustrated just a little bit earlier. And what an important lesson we see here. Jesus calls. He has sent them. He has sent them out as the Father sent him, and yet in sending him, he provides for them. They went back to what they knew, to the one thing that they were good at, and even in that, they failed. Because they can't do anything in their own strength. And that is what we see here. Jesus provides because we need Jesus to provide. Because we are entirely dependent on him and there is nothing that we can do in our own strength. These are professional fishermen. This is what they are good at. This is what they've done their whole life. And they can't even do that well apart from Christ. The same is true for us. We are a people who are entirely dependent on God. We can't do it in our own strength. Even something as simple as fishing, God is sovereign over. Plumbing, God is sovereign. Roofing, Even God is sovereign over that. You can't even do that in your own strength. Teaching. Yard work. Truck driving. Working at the grocery store. Working at the coffee shop. Construction. Construction. 
Don't think that you can do any of it in your own strength. But rejoice that God gives you the strength. That He is sovereign over the little things just as much as He is sovereign over the big things. Rejoice that you serve a God who provides. And that is the lesson here. In conclusion, that that they could not do even the most mundane tasks successfully apart from Jesus. In their own strength, they can do nothing. And he is sovereign over fishing. He is sovereign over everything. And the same Lord that called them to be fishers of men will sustain them. He will lead them. And he will provide all that they need to be successful. And as he filled their nets, he will fill his church. He will not leave them to their own strength. And he will not abandon us. He's the God who calls, and he is the God who provides. And so what does this simple lesson mean for us going forward? A few points. Number one, believe. John told us last time we were together, in John 20, at the end of John 20, he says, all of this I've written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, as we look at this passage this morning, see a God who provides. He provides the strength for day to day, new mercies each morning, and he provides grace and salvation. So I would call you this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, don't trust in your church attendance. Don't trust in your good works to outweigh your bad works. Trust in a God that has provided a Savior all that you need for salvation. Secondly, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you find yourself in one of these times in life when you just don't know what to do. Maybe you find yourself discouraged Maybe you've come face to face this week with your weakness, with your inability. Be challenged to be faithful in your calling, for he who called you is faithful. Maybe it's not just frustration at work. Maybe maybe it's frustration in something like evangelism. I know that I should be sharing the gospel. I know that I should be making disciples, but I feel so inadequate. When the moment comes, the opportunity is there, I'm filled with fear, with self-doubt. Remember this, the God who calls you will sustain you and equip you. It's not your words that saves. It is His word. So be challenged to be faithful in your calling. Yes, you are called to be a plumber or a construction worker or a roofer or a truck driver or a grocery store worker. 
insurance agent, whatever you are called to do. Be faithful in that, but be faithful to make disciples as well. Because the God who calls you to make disciples equips you to make disciples. Finally, maybe you're doing that. Maybe you are being faithful. You're making disciples. You're pouring into someone else. You're sharing the gospel. Then be encouraged to keep working faithfully. To keep finding your hope in the God who provides the sustaining, providing care of your Father. Be encouraged to keep on. Keep on keeping on. Even as you hit those valleys and it gets harder. Stay faithful. Your God provides. In the good times and the bad times, when it's easy and when it's hard, when you don't even understand or see, your God provides. So stay faithful, for He is faithful. He sees you. He knows where you are. He has not abandoned you. He is coming again, and He gives new mercy each morning and grace for every situation. So find hope in Him. He is all that you need.